Well, hello, friends. My name is Julian Archer, and I have the privilege of hosting this week's Sabbath School podcast. And we have a, a beautiful topic to look at, the Sabbath. The subtitle for the lesson is Experiencing and Living the Character of God. It's a very interesting subtitle when the main topic is the Sabbath. But uh, the more I studied into it, the more I saw just how beautiful it really is. This is the Sabbath lesson for Sabbath December 19. Let's, uh, let's have a look uh, at our memory text. And we, we see here that it's Mark 2, 27 and 28. And it's Jesus speaking. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. It's a powerful text. Let's pray as we start up. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Sabbath. We thank you that it's also our Sabbath, that you gave it to us as a gift. Lord, we have been so blessed by it, and we know we're going to be blessed by it again this coming Sabbath. And so, Father, we just, we just want to pause and thank you for that beautiful gift. And we just pray that as we study your word this morning, that we will see how we can live through each Sabbath in a way that brings glory to you, honor to your name, and shares your love and your character with everyone around us. Thanks for being with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there it is. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. In John 3.16, we read that God so loved that he gave. Love gives. It's a simple thing. It's a simple equation. And I know that you know, as each of us look at our lives, we see that when people are loving, they are giving. When we are loving, we are giving. We love to give. An elderly friend once said to me, Julian, most of the wisdom that people know when they're 70 years old can't actually be put into words. <laughs> you know, one of the joys of aging is that over the years, we're able to see a buildup of evidence for certain timeless truths. Truths such as uh, prevention is better than cure. You know, we know that more and more as we get older, don't we? Or, or money can't buy happiness. Or every meal either harms or heals you. You know, we usually hear these truths in our youth, but they seem almost too unbelievable or too countercultural or something to be true. And so we decide to live in the opposite direction of some of them for a time. And we say, oh, we're just testing their validity. <laughs> and then there's that, that apparently anti-common sense truth or statement. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Really? I mean, that, that's, that sounds like a really unusual uh, truth, if it is a truth. And uh, we, you know, we sort of look at it and we go, well, man, who, I wonder if the author ever sat underneath the Christmas tree expectantly waiting for a beautiful gift. And, and yet they somehow said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, the author of that statement was actually Jesus Christ himself. It's recorded in Acts 20, verse 35. And you know, I'm, I'm no fount of wisdom, but half a century of people watching has provided me with overwhelming evidence that it's not what we hold, but what we share that makes us rich. It's what we give that makes us rich. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. And the Sabbath was made for man. It was a blessing for God and a blessing for us. 
In, uh, in Sunday's lesson, it's titled Time to Be Astonished. And uh, there's a really interesting paragraph that the author has put in there uh, that, that really got me into the, uh, the headspace, I guess, as, as best we can 6,000 years later. But the headspace of Adam and Eve on that first Sabbath, remember, they were just created a few hours beforehand on the Friday. And now they've got this first Sabbath coming with the, with the, the sunset on Friday evening. And I just want to read you this paragraph. The author writes, imagine yourself as Adam or Eve on that first Sabbath. It's your first day alive, your first day with your spouse and your first day with God. What a day of education. You start to learn of the God who could create such beauty. You marvel as you see an elephant one moment and a frog the next, each one unique. You smile as you see the antics of the giraffe or buffalo you are silent in awe of the many colours and shapes, enraptured by the symphony of sounds. You revel in the range of delights in taste and smells and enjoy exploring the delights of different textures. Most of all, you start learning about relationships, responsibility, caring, love. You experience it with your creator. You start to practice it with the rest of the created. The first Sabbath could not have been a passive experience for Adam and Eve. I really like that. I like that paragraph and that conclusion. The first Sabbath could not have been a passive experience for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve learnt to love, to love God and each other on that first Sabbath. They learnt about their creator, their God, who they had only known for a few hours, and they learnt that God is love. They learnt that they had been created in God's image of love and their natural response to this was to love God and each other. It would have been an exciting experience. And, and I think you know, that, that statement that it couldn't have been a passive experience for them uh, is really important still for us today. If, if my Sabbath is spent passively worshipping God or, or passively in relationship with others around me where I just sort of wade into the day with no fixed plan to minister to anyone, just an expectation that I will be ministered to, that I will be blessed. If I go into that day expecting that it's just going to be a day where I receive, then I'm living it passively and not in the way that I was created to receive it. Adam and Eve didn't have a passive first Sabbath and we're not to have passive Sabbaths either. We are to live them the way that God would have us live them. And that is in love. And we're going to explore this uh, a little more as we go. Some of you may have heard the illustration by Ty Gibson where he describes our, our inbuilt reliance on love so beautifully in his story about uh, the Bugatti, an, an Italian supercar. Um, a little bit of background on that, that particular brand of supercar. If you want to buy a Bugatti, the, the minimum price that you pay here in Australia is $4 million. Uh, it's, it's not a, a six-cylinder. It's not a V8. It's a W16. That's like two V8s right beside each other. It's a seven-speed. It goes from zero to 100 in two and a half seconds, zero to 313.6 seconds. It has a top speed of 136 metres per second which is 490 kilometers per hour. <laughs> it's incredible. It runs on a very specially formulated high octane fuel. It has a 100 liter fuel tank and it can drain that fuel tank at top speed 
in nine minutes. <laughs> it's an incredible supercar. And as Ty Gibson points out, he says, a Bugatti is a symphony in steel powered by a specially formulated high octane fuel. So that's what this Bugatti runs on. But he goes on and he, he says, a human is a divinely created being designed to be powered by a fuel called love. We are psychological, biological, emotional love machines. And that's what Adam and Eve were experiencing in that first Sabbath. They were experiencing that love, that love from God that was flowing into them as, as the, uh, the, the, the highest point of creation. God was pouring out his love on them and they, that love was flowing through them to each other and to the environment around them, to the animals, to the environment. They experienced and lived love on their first Sabbath. Monday's lesson goes on to a, the need for rediscovering the Sabbath and rediscovering discovering God's character because you remember that, of course, that there was a fall in the garden and that some years later, God's people, the Israelites, were actually uh, enslaved in Egypt. And then Moses came along, led by God, and he led the Israelites out of Egypt. And the Sabbath became a pivotal part of their relearning about the character of God. Every Friday, God would provide double the manna, the food that God was provide, providing miraculously. He would provide double of that so that they didn't need to work to collect their food on the Sabbath day. And that left the Sabbath for the Israelites to marvel at the God who was not only their creator, but now also their deliverer, deliverer from Egypt and to rediscover what it meant to be the people of God. And uh, hence around that time when, when God reintroduces the Sabbath commandment or the Ten Commandments to them, it's in the context, in the framework of I am the one who delivered you from Egypt. Uh, originally, it was in the framework of I am your creator and I, and I know that you need this Sabbath rest to function fully and beautifully in relationship with me and with others. Uh, and then in Egypt, it's, it's framed around that deliverance from Egypt. Monday's lesson ends with a, an interesting question. Uh, and this is it. It says, you are talking to a teenager who is finding Sabbath boring. He is keeping it only because that is what the Bible and his parents say he must do. What suggestions will you give to help him discover or rediscover the Sabbath as a positive learning experience? Now that, I thought that was an excellent question because, uh, you know, for those of you who grew up in the church and you went through those teenage years, sometimes you did find the, the Sabbath boring. Well, I, I shouldn't say you did. You may have. <laughs> uh, and I know ha having uh, raised uh, a couple of boys through their teenage years as well, uh, that there were days where they felt the Sabbath was boring. Um, what can we do to help them rediscover the Sabbath in a positive way? Uh, my simple answer to it is that we need to work with them and help them to find ways to love people on Sabbath. Find ways to love people on Sabbath. You know, ultimately, that's what was happening in the garden, uh, and that is what God wants us to do with the Sabbath. Jesus is very clear uh, as he talks about the Sabbath, as recorded in the Gospels, that it is a day for loving people, a day for 
passing on the love that God has given to us, to other people. And in Isaiah 58, as we go into Tuesday's lesson, God lists some excellent ways of loving people there. I'm actually going to go through the, the whole of Isaiah 58 because I think it's the crowning point of this week's lesson uh, on Sabbath and experiencing and living the character of God. So I'm just I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version uh, in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 5 at the moment. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. So we've got here the, the Israelites or the, the people in the land of Judah uh, being very religious. Um, the passage goes on. They say, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So here God is questioning the way that the Israelites are, are worshipping him and the way that they're coming before him. They're clearly very religious, but their ways of fasting uh, are questionable. And we'll see later on in the chapter that this fasting is, is also tied in with the way that they keep the Sabbath. They're posing as followers of God in their worship, in their fasting, but the way they live their lives after they have finished worshipping shows that they are only going through the motions of correct behaviour and there's no sincere heart commitment to the law of God. In the, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, volume 4, page 305, it gets outlined pretty clearly. It says there, outwardly, the nation of Judah professed to follow the Lord, but inwardly they were far from him. They held to the external forms of religion, but neglected its basic principles. They fasted and prayed, observed the Sabbath, kept the sacred feasts, brought their offerings to the temple and attended solemn assemblies while they engaged in every form of iniquity. And that, that's described in actually the first chapter of Isaiah. Theirs was an incongruous attempt to serve both God and mammon or money. They professed to love the light, but chose to live in darkness. They wanted all this world had to offer and heaven too. Very insightful statement there from the Bible commentary. Let's keep reading Isaiah 58 verses 6 to 12. Keep an eye out here for conditional promises. For those who obey God, there's a number of if-then statements. If this occurs, then this will happen. Let's have a look. <clears throat> God talking, re responding to Israel. He says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free? You can see this love, love, love coming through. I want you to love when you're fasting. Love that you break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall bring forth speedily, or shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Beautiful, isn't it? God says, if you live your life this way, if you live a life of love, if you allow my love to flow through you and out to the people all around you, whether they be in your family or down the street or in the city nearby, when you live a life of love, then all these beautiful blessings will come your way. God's method of fasting is to show love, to live in loving relationships with all people, to reveal his character of love. And it's no surprise that when we live in love, we are blessed because after all, we were created as psychological, biological and emotional love machines. It just makes sense to love and especially on Sabbath, the day when Adam and Eve first learnt to love God and each other. Remember, they were made in the image of God and God is what? God is love. So it just makes sense, perfect sense that when we are being loving and lovable Christians, then we will experience the greatest blessings, whether that be on the Sabbath day or any other day of the week, any other stage of our lives. Let's read the last two uh, verses of Isaiah 58, where it just ties it in beautifully into the Sabbath. It's another if-then statement. God says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honourable, and shall honour him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Man, it's powerful, isn't it? Powerful and beautiful. It's, a, it's both a reprimand and a promise. The Bible Commentary, uh, same volume 4, page 307, makes an interesting statement. It says that the fate of Israel as a nation was determined by its attitude towards God's holy day, his Sabbath. Isn't that powerful? The fate of the entire nation was determined by its attitudes towards the Sabbath. In uh, Jeremiah 17, we see this outlined very clearly. Jeremiah 17 verses 24 and 25 says, And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, 
to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this, this city shall remain forever. Isn't that interesting? If they kept the Sabbath, the city would remain forever. But verse 27 then goes on and says, But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Wow. It's another one of those conditional promises. And you know, as I look back through the Old Testament, uh, I've studied the Sabbath through the Old Testament, looking at the places where God's people hallow the Sabbath and keep it holy and respect it, and the places where they disregard it or reject it as, as a gift. And, you know, it's hallowed in creation, but then sin comes in and God's people end up in Egyptian slavery. And right before that, God talks about them breaking the Sabbath. They end up in Egyptian slavery. He then delivers them from that, reinstitutes the Sabbath. And as they keep the Sabbath, they are free from slavery. But they turn away from God again, and they go into their wilderness wanderings. And they're there out there 40 years. And then God in, in uh, Deuteronomy, when Moses is talking to them just before they go across into the promised land, he, he, he raises up the Sabbath again. He says, keep this Sabbath. And they go across into the promised land, but then they forget the Sabbath again and they end up going back into the Babylonian bondage. But there in, in Babylon, the Sabbath is, is raised up again and they return to Jerusalem and Jerusalem is rebuilt. There's just this up-down cycle of Sabbath keeping and Sabbath breaking. But as the commentary says, the fate of Israel as a nation was determined by its attitude towards God's holy day. There's something special about the Sabbath. And I guess I need to ask myself the question, could it be that the fate of spiritual Israel today, that's us, has more to do with our attitude towards the Sabbath than we realize? I know for myself personally that the more closely I follow God's guidelines for Sabbath keeping, the more beautiful the day is for me, for my family and for others. So the Sabbath from creation to eternity educates us, it teaches us of God's character, his love, and it calls us to reveal his love to everyone throughout the Sabbath hours and beyond. Remember, if we turn our foot away from the Sabbath, from doing our pleasure on his day, call it a delight, make it a holy day and honourable, and if we shall honour him, honour God by not doing our own things on it, then there is great blessing in it. So how can we honour God on the Sabbath day. Well, again, <clears throat> I go back to the commentary. Fourth SDA Bible commentary, page 307. And it says this, any activity entered into with the objective of learning more of the character, works, ways, and will of the creator, or is made a channel whereby his love may reach the hearts and lives of our fellow human being, is indeed and honour to God. So when we, when we put God at the centre of any activity that we do, when we want 
when we select our activities around whether or not they reveal God's character of love in our lives to other people, then that's how we can assess whether it's a Sabbath-worthy activity. Uh, it's, a simple, it's a simple thing. Will this activity reveal God's love to me and through me? If yes, then it's a great thing to do on Sabbath. If you, if you want to study the Sabbath further, there's some excellent resources at a website, <laughs> probably the longest named website I've ever come across, www.rememberthesabbathdaytokeepitholy.com.au. Just go to that, rememberthesabbathdaytokeepitholy.com.au. Click on the Sabbath link at the top of that website and uh, you'll get some great resources. Now, I should, I should acknowledge that this website was actually set up by my father, Ray Archer, so I'm a little biased towards its content. Uh, but he's really made a study of the Sabbath and has dug into it. There's uh, some messages on there, some video messages as well, uh, probably some audio files. Uh, great resources there about the Sabbath. The, le the lesson, Sabbath school lesson brings out a, a question. Do you delight in the Sabbath? And if not, what can you do to change that? Well, my answer at this stage in my life to do I delight in the Sabbath is absolutely when I live it in love. When I'm focused on the Isaiah 58 ways of loving, serving and feeding people, my Sabbaths are an absolute delight. Uh, we're really blessed at the moment. My wife, Melinda and I, we live um, up in northern New South Wales uh, and we're not far away from Byron Bay. We, when, when I'm available, I, I go to Byron Bay for church and <clears throat> it has a, a beautiful cafe ministry there. And during the week, people are invited to a free Sabbath lunch, uh, either at the church or down in a local park. And what a celebration that is with people from the community all, all coming along. Uh, some of them come to church first and then to the lunch. Some just turn up for the lunch. But how beautiful it is to be part of a body of believers who are ministering physically, mentally, spiritually, socially to these people from the community, feeding them physical and spiritual food. And, you know, it's... it's it, it just makes the Sabbath a real delight when that happens. When you remember that when Jesus was talking to Peter in John, uh, might be John 21, uh, after Peter had denied Jesus three times earlier on, Jesus is reinstating him uh, publicly in front of the disciples. And he, he says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says that three times. And three times Peter says, yes. And three times Jesus says, okay, well, if you love me, feed my sheep or he says some one time he says tend my lambs and that's what we're called to do every sabbath what we're called to do every day feed god's sheep by loving them jesus knew that for peter to stay out of the way of temptation he needed to rekindle his love for jesus and his active revealing of that love in practically loving the flock that jesus was going to give him feeding the sheep. That was the key to what Jesus was asking Peter to do. And remember, we, we humans are divinely created beings designed to be powered by a fuel called love. So when we are feeding sheep, it's about loving the sheep. It's about fueling them, giving them food, fuel, love, because we are psychological, biological and emotional love machines. 
God gave us the Sabbath at creation and he gave us so many other gifts in nature and in relationships. He gave because he loves. Remember, God so loved that he gave. Jesus gave his life for us because he loves us. He rested in the tomb on the Sabbath because he loves us. He's mediating in heaven on our behalf right now because he loves us. Our only natural response when we see this love is to love him in return. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. And that's what we're called to do. Feed them in a way that shows them God's love. In Steps to Christ, pages 77 and 78, I read this uh, couple of sentences. Love to Jesus will be manifested in a desire to work as he worked for the blessing and uplifting of humanity. It will lead to love, tenderness and sympathy toward all the creatures of our heavenly Father's care. So when we truly love God, we will love all of his creation, people, animals, the environment, everything. And our love to our neighbours will be perfected as Christ loves them through us. In The Desire of Ages, page 641, we read that when Christ's parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. I just want to end with a summarizing question. Does the way I currently spend my Sabbaths enable me and those I spend the Sabbath with to experience and to live God's love? It's an important question about the Sabbath. I'll read it again. Does the way I currently spend my Sabbaths enable me and those I spend the Sabbath with to experience and to live God's character of love. The Sabbath is a gift of love and it's to be used to love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you that you've revealed it so beautifully through your gift of the Sabbath, through your gift of relationship, through your gift of opportunities for us to minister to others, for us to love others. Lord, we thank you that you have created us as beings that run on love, that are fueled by love. And Father, I pray that as we go through this coming Sabbath and through the weeks and the rest of our lives, Lord, I pray that we will keep your love front and center of our lives, of our ministry, of our relationships. Father, thank you for loving us. I pray that we will love you and others in return. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.